Welcome to the Triple F Podcast, where we're focused on fashion, fitness, and of course food. This podcast is all about bringing these three parts of your life together to help you get the most out of your passions. We're here to help you look your best, feel great, and also indulge in some maybe not-so-hidden temptations. We are by no means experts in any of these fields, but we do hope to bring to the show people who know what they're talking about and help you with some of these aspects of your life. You live life only once, so why not live a life worth living? On our show today, we have Rachel Carpenter. She is the co-founder and CEO of Intrinio, a financial data technology firm. In this episode, we actually delve into the work-life balance of a grueling career choice and also staying in tip-top physical shape. You would not believe the amount of hard work this woman puts into staying physically fit while also being the CEO of an incredibly intense startup company. Enjoy the show. So Rachel, tell us what you do in one to two sentences. Sure. So I am the co-founder and CEO of Intrinio. It's a technology company that provides financial data to investors, everything from stock prices to financial statement data, data that they need to make good decisions, and we just do it much faster, much cheaper, and much more flexibly. Okay, so I'm pretty sure a lot of people out there haven't heard of this. Is it a startup or has it been around a while? Yeah, we're a startup. We just launched um, about last year. We've been working and building the company for about two to three years um, prior to that, but we just launched publicly last year. Okay. Do you want to give some details on how it went? Because uh, I know we actually went to school together back in Madison, and now you're yeah. mid twenties and you're, you know, executive at a startup. Like, how, how did that happen? Just straight from school to launching this business, or can you give us some details on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I never had a real job, thank God. <laughs> just I just started this right out of school. So my co-founder, his name is Joey French, and he's also at uh, UW Madison grad. And he built a prototype for our product while he was in school and was just using it for personal use and kind of showed it to me. And I took a look at him and I said, you realize this is bigger than just a tool for yourself. This solves a big problem for a lot of people and we can commercialize this. So let's talk about it. So when I was actually still in undergrad, I started building our original business plan with him. Um, And I had a lot of job offers, a lot of opportunities to go work in a cubicle. I had a double major in finance and management and it just didn't interest me. I was so excited about the idea that we had that um, I just jumped into it straight out of college. And um, we actually moved to Chicago for a year um, to teach ourselves web development. So that was a like a rough, haven't raised money yet, sleeping on the couch type of a year, um, but really fun because we were learning so much. Um, and we basically taught ourselves, between Joey and I, the development skills that we needed to build it without having to bring on a partner. So had we bring on, brought on a technical partner, we would have given away a substantial chunk of the company. Instead, we just learned how to do it um, and basically built the entire thing ourselves that next year. So that's how we got started. What kind of motivated you to make that jump? Like, I, I can see being excited for someone who has this cool idea. Yeah. And then you spent four years at college, like, oh, actually, I'm going to go study something completely different for right. a year, not get paid, and then yeah. just hope for the best. What was kind of going through your mind at that point? I guess that's always kind of been my personality. I haven't worked well underneath other people. I've, you know, I don't do well being micromanaged. I don't do well um, when I don't have flexibility and ability to take charge and take the lead and kind of innovate and make things better. So 
I didn't, I just, I didn't think I was going to fit very well in the typical finance role, right? Like being, being put into a cubicle, working for somebody else. And, um, I actually did study entrepreneurship as well. Um, it was an option underneath a management degree. So, um, I learned a lot about that and done a lot of thinking about, you know, you can either work for somebody else, creating value for them your entire life. And there's, you know, some type of ceiling where you're going to reach where that's the only place you can go, or you can actually build something of value and meaningful yourself and then you're creating all that value for yourself. So the prospect of being in charge of it and having direction and control and building something exciting without working for somebody else was a no-brainer for me and just fit really well with my personality. So I didn't really think twice about it. I never really had a plan B. Okay, that makes sense. So then you guys spent a year in Chicago coding, mm-hmm. got up a prototype, etc. And then what was kind of like the next steps there? Most sure. companies that are in startups need some sort of money. You didn't yeah. even have a job, so it kind of like you could bootstrap it. Yeah. What was that kind of like for you guys? Um, yeah, so I actually worked part-time during that time. My mom, we, well, so we moved down to Florida. Um, we basically realized, you know, we need to start meeting some angel investors. We need to get some capital into the business now that it's ready to go. Um, and the cost of living in Chicago is really high. I mean, I know you're there right now. You're, you're living that. So it's, it's expensive there. And it's also, I found kind of easy to get lost as a startup. So we thought, you know, we can move anywhere to build this and to get on our feet. So we might as well go somewhere that has favorable taxes that is not cold and (laughs) and where, you know, we can easily get on our feet that the cost of living is very affordable. Um, so my family was actually down here in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, and I had met and had interviewed and had a lot of connections with Raymond James down here. So we actually ended up testing a lot with them and we still are working with them and, um, they're one of our clients now. Um, so that was pretty strategic to get on our feet. Um, so we ended up just packing everything up and moving down to Florida, got very integrated. You know, the city welcomed us with open arms, the chamber, the mayor met with us, what can we do to help? So the city of St. Petersburg was fantastic in kind of welcoming us. Um, so we set about building everything. So um, the next year was pretty much taking the web development skills that we had in the prototype and then building the prototype into the web. So we spent about a year getting our data set built, um, our algorithm, our, our engine that we use, and then our whole website and application. So um, we built everything from there. And we're lucky enough to find some local angel investors down here in Florida who supported that growth Um so that's kind of how we got started and got on our feet and how we got to where we are today. And how did that go with the angel investors? Was it just like, they said, oh, I heard you have a cool product. Here's like $100,000. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> I wish that's how it worked. Um, no, it, it took a very long time. You know, we, we met with a bunch of different angel groups, individual angels, and it's a, it's a little bit tough down here in Florida because the risk tolerance is so different. Um, it's a little bit of an older population, a little bit of a more conservative population, and they're risk, very, very risk averse, right? So people down here, there's a lot of private equity down here that invests in much later stage companies, growth companies, um, but in terms of early stage capital, I mean, people are investing in real estate and restaurants basically down here. That's kind of, you know, something tangible you can put your hands on in these just crazy tech companies are, you know, a little bit out of the typical range for a lot of investors down here. But there's a ton of money down here. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of education, of getting, you know, the people with the capital educated on the opportunities that are out there for early stage um, investments. So, um, I, I mean, I can't name any names, but some pretty prominent um, retired financial industry veterans 
who both understood understood the concept and the product and you know they said you know I used to have to go to the shelf to pull the book off the shelf to look at the financial statement to then type in the number they're like the fact that you're innovating and making that job so much easier for us to get the financial data we need like it just rings you know ring it rings true with them um, but honestly and I think you'll hear this from a lot of people the team is even more important so you know Joey and I are so passionate we're so knowledgeable about what we're doing. We have a plan. We're executing it. And we're genuine. Well, we're Midwesterners, so that helps too, right? Um, exactly. So that's kind of been the overwhelming response is that the team sold it, you know. And and most of our investors have said that they're so confident in the team that they're going to be our investors in our next venture and the next thing we do. And they want to follow on and continue, you know, investing in us. So it's, base, it's, it's having a strong team and then an investor that can kind of resonate with your idea and understand your industry. So then how does the investor money work? So you guys get the injection. Are you giving up equity? Like, do you enjoy have equity in the company? Like, how it is, maybe not specifics for you guys, but just like industry standards, how everything kind of falls into place in that regard. Yeah, so there's really interesting models for this. And um, the way that we did it, you know, Joey and I are the majority equity owners. And when you're in, when you have so much potential and you place so much of your value on the, the next coming years when things are going to really explode for you, it's kind of hard to value your company. Um, you don't, and you don't want to put a valuation on it early. So typically the strategy for that is to do convertible notes with your investors. If you're raising a lot of money, like Series A, millions and millions of dollars, they're going to want straight equity in the company, but then you have to set a valuation at that point. If you're a little bit earlier, like we were this past year, and you're getting kind of more in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, then those investors are typically okay with accepting a convertible note. So what that means is just it's technically debt, um, and then it converts to equity at the next financing round. But they get a discount on that, and there's a lot of different ways you can structure it so that their investment will convert to equity as soon as we do raise the next big round. Um, but then there's co- there's crazy companies like um, like the Hyperloop out in California. I mean, they got together, I don't know the exact number, like 300 or 400 of the most prominent engineers and scientists to build this thing and they took 10% of the company and split it among all 300 or so of them and didn't pay them so they just did straight sweat equity compensation for all of their employees to build the hyperloop so you've got like the brightest minds getting not getting paid at all and just splitting a 10% piece of the pie in the company I'm sure so, they're smart enough to know that that's going to be a huge return though if it's yeah. just like uh, <laughs> the newest thing that we're all in I don't think the model would have worked for us no so <laughs> I mean, we've got we've got cash on board to pay to pay ourselves and our uh, our three other members of our team right now. So it's just a mix of cash and comp and equity compensation, and um, all of our investors are currently convertible note compensation. Okay, so how, how did you guys successfully scale that? Now that you have like a larger team with like the money you have, like and yeah. spending so much time focused on the product and things of that nature, how did you spend the time like scaling it and team together to make everything expand out well nicely? That's a great question. Um, I'm not sure if I have a direct answer to that. It's we haven't. I mean, it wasn't perfect, right? We're we're learning as we go. And and for example, we spent the majority of our time in product development, right? Because Joey and I both I do the front end development, he does the back end development. So when it was just us and we had one other guy along board with us, I mean, all of our time was in product development. We were just getting getting it ready and probably didn't spend enough time making sure that we had customers lined up. So then it was a frantic switch to marketing and sales mm-hmm. um, and I think the key there is that you kind of need to be doing that all at the same time and we've learned that lesson we have a new data set coming out now FDIC call report banking data um, and basically every single bank in the entire country needs this 
affordably. So Joey's building it and I'm on the side now getting clients lined up to go as soon as, as, soon as this new product is ready to go. So we've learned lessons like that. Um, but in terms of scaling, you know, you can't do everything at once. Well, you kind of can. I wear a lot of hats. But in order to get the right people in place to help you, you got to have people who are entrepreneurial and who understand the value of equity compensation, right? Because, you, you know, there's, there's going to be a period of time when we can't really, we can't afford to pay you a $100,000 salary, mm-hmm. right? Um, we haven't raised money. We haven't gotten sales up quite that far yet, but we're getting there and you have to be okay with equity compensation. And, and that just really comes down to finding people who are passionate and believe what you're doing and are willing to work hard for equity compensation. They place value on that, on that future value of their equity. So those are just kind of a few of the things that have helped. So then if, uh, let's say, for example, I came on the team as like marketing sales or something, right, that you guys needed help sure. with, and I yep. took an equity share, what mm-hmm. does that really mean for me? Like, am I waiting for like an IPO to get like my millions or like what, what are the logistics on that? That's a great question. So I guess you kind of have to think like worst case scenario, average scenario, and best case scenario is kind of how I think about it, right? So um, if you think about what the company's valued at right now, probably not a ton, you know, but if you think about a possible exit strategy, and I can't really give you any specific numbers here, but, you know, we have a basically two exit strategies that could be pretty feasible for a company like ours. We're very disruptive to the financial industry, and we're already stepping a lot, poking, poking the bear, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say, um, uh, taking some business away from some pretty gigantic uh, financial industry players. So it's very common in our industry for disruptors like us to just get basically eaten up and, and acquired by those big companies, which could definitely become a reality for us in the next like two to three years. So, but there's a number in my mind where I'm not willing to let go of everything and all the potential we have if if they don't have the right number, right? So you can, and, and you know, if, if we were to bring you on board, we'd tell you, you know, we would never sell for less than this. So this would be like your worst case scenario if we got acquired. Best case scenario, of course, is that we are able to grow our community, scale, really become a disruptor, execute on our strategy, and I eventually grow the company to the IPO, in which case you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you kind of just have to, to play those scenarios out, and it's hard to tell, but then that gives you a range at least of kind of what your what your gain would be out of it. Is there any possibility that you guys, maybe not you guys, but in general, right, that you don't do IPO, maybe you just like stay private for you know 50 years or something? Yeah, that's, that's definitely feasible. I mean, you see companies like, um, I'm sure you're familiar with Epic back in Madison, Wisconsin. Very much. Uh, I used to work there actually when I was in school. And I mean, fantastic company. They're killing it. But one of their founding principles is to never go public. Um, and there's definitely pros and cons to that. And I think that's just a strategic decision based on what your industry is and kind of where you're at when you get to that point. And your investors too. <laughs> so it all comes down to that. So how does how that affect my equity though? Like let's say like if you guys never went public... Like, did I, you know, took like 20 grand a year or something plus like 1% equity. Mm-hmm. Is that just me like rolling the dice and like, oh, thanks guys. Like now you kind of owe me, but you don't really pay me anything for my efforts. Yeah. Well, in, in that case, if we were, if we were not to go public, we would probably start doing dividends because if you're bringing in that much cash, if we were to be giant enough that IPO is a possibility, we're bringing in a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. So we'd be compensating through dividends then in that case. Um, and then there also probably be a very high possibility of a private equity firm coming in to do some type of acquisition um, or bolt on as well. So okay. you'd have that possibility. So you mentioned that Intrinio is disrupting the financial marketplace. Yeah. What 
like separates you guys from your competition then that it's like being so successful in such a short period of time with a such a jam-packed season competitors out there that are clearly already right. doing well for themselves yeah that's a great question um so you know we don't like to be naive and say you know somebody could take the best cpas and the best developers and a couple million dollars and throw it at an idea and probably do something similar you know land somewhere similar to where we're at that's pretty much a possibility for every every company though so the 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 short answer to that is that we have a very specific set of skills um and having joey's such strong skills in both finance and development able us was you know made it possible for us to build this really quickly with just two people and our initial $100,000 angel investment. So that's pretty rare. And when we tell people that, it's pretty insane that we were able to live off of that and scale so quickly. So we scaled quickly, which means, you know, we're ahead of people already. Um, and the amount of money that you would have to throw into it to build something similar to what we've done, for a lot of companies, they're probably more lucrative just to buy us at that point. Um, it's also not as easy as you'd think because our competitors are huge. I mean, you're talking Capital IQ, FactSet, Bloomberg, companies like that, who have this really, really outdated infrastructure and tons of overhead. So the switching cost to, you know, basically what we do differently is that we've algorithmically provided a data solution, right? So our algorithm is doing the job that Bloomberg's employees in India are doing. So not only does that mean our quality is higher, but our speed getting the data to market is faster um, and our price is like literally 120th the price. So even if Bloomberg or Capital IQ were to compete and to try to, to automate their processes and move away from the human capital, they're going to be slashing their own margins, which is the innovator's dilemma, right? When you, when you get to that point, even if they wanted to compete, they cannot charge the prices we're charging, charging because they have all that infrastructure in place. So there's a lot of roadblocks and barriers to that. Um, and the history, if you, if you I mean, <laughs> this is nerdy, but if you look into the history of financial data, <laughs> uh, <laughs> very nerdy. <laughs> like this where, you know, somebody comes in and they're like, we're going to take Bloomberg down. We're going to, you know, there's another startup right now that's, you know, we're attacking data. They're attacking the messaging part of a Bloomberg terminal. So it's been common for companies like that to just get acquired before, before we make too big of a splash. So you guys are definitely making some moves in the marketplace. You want to tell us about the partnership you guys just acquired? Yeah, so we've been working with Microsoft, um, and we have a really exciting product that we're going to be releasing with them very shortly. Um, we're working with them to integrate our data and build a stock screener that will live directly in Excel. So this is pretty huge because typically if you're using a stock screener, it's on the, on the web or it's an app, a desktop app or something, and you have to then export the data, somehow get it into Excel if you want to play around with it. It's just, you know, it doesn't live in the Excel ecosystem where you're actually doing your financial anal analysis. So we've built a stock screener, and the beauty of this now is that we own all of this data, right? So it's our foundation. So not only can we sell the data, but we can build a lot of things on top of it, a lot of analytics, um, which is kind of where we're moving now. So we built the stock screener with Microsoft. It lives in a side panel within Excel, and there's about 700 plus parameters. So you can screen for company size, market cap, revenues, number of employees, even down to searching. I only want to see companies that have the word mobile in their company description, and then all those companies will come through. So there actually isn't a stock screener out there that allows you to do that word search like that, um, nor is there one with 
up to 700 parameters, nor is there one that lives in Excel. So you can just click and it exports off the side panel into Excel. So we're working with them on that. Um, some other really exciting projects that will come after that that I don't want to talk too much about, um, but they're also working on their web version of Excel. Um, I, I guess, you know, kind of to compete with the Google Google Sheets type platform, mm -hmm. moving away from the desktop version of Excel into the web. So we're going to be the first financial data provider that's integrated with that as well. Seems like you have your plate pretty full at work. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, but we're here to talk more about fitness. So how right. do you personally manage running a successful startup with all these things going on? And, you know, your social life with like your like, 20 boyfriends and all that stuff and yeah. then working out all the time. 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, and it's tough. Um, I mean, I was an athlete. I was a student athlete in college. I was, an, you know, I've been doing a lot of, I've been managing a lot of things, including athletics, for a long time. I was, I came out of the womb holding a tennis racket. I was, you know, playing tournaments. I was playing soccer and tennis in high school at the same time as I was the lead in the play, the captain of the soccer team, the head of, you know, Spanish club. So I was kind of building those, the ability to multitask, even down at the high school level. And then up into college, I was also a competitive Division One athlete. Um, I was in the rowing team at UW-Madison. So getting up for practice at 5 a.m., going to class, you know, I started to develop the skills and the mental organization to be able to handle all of that at a pretty young age um, because I was doing a lot of different things. It's harder now because um, I am the CEO and that has recently changed. So um, my days are very long and it's very hard to fit it in. Um, I actually recently competed in a bodybuilding competition, um, women's bikini class bodybuilding, which was crazy. I mean, I was getting up at 5.30 for fasted cardio. I was doing three hours of weightlifting at night, working 12, 14-hour days. That was tough. but when you're on, when you get into a habit and you have kind of a schedule and a set way you do things, it's almost like you don't have to worry about it anymore and you can focus on work. So it almost helps you stay on track to be regimented like that. Um, it's hard to fit it in. You just have to prioritize it. And I do a lot of, you know, you know, destruct destructive workouts on the weekends to make up for it sometimes and then just fit in shorter ones during the week and you just have to get creative with it. So how did you get into fitness competitions? I'm guessing this isn't your first one. You just like wake up one morning like, I'm going to go in this bikini competition. Yeah, that's I'm pretty like... much how it happened. It was my first one, yeah. Um, I don't think I have the time to do another one right now, um, but I'm hoping to do another one next year if I have the time. Um, doubtful. Um, yeah, so um, I've always been very athletic, um, very muscular. I, I can, I, you know, I have a high metabolism. I can kind of fluctuate my body weight 10 pounds in like one to two weeks. I just know my body very well. I know how to lose fat, how to gain muscle. It's almost like to the point where I could just experiment with it. And um, I think that part of that comes from being an athlete and just knowing your body very well. But a lot of people that go to the, the gym that I go to compete in these competitions. I go to this like super old school Gold's Gym, like big bodybuilding type of gym, right? Where it's dirty. <laughs> throwing shit all over the place, grunting and screaming, but that's kind of how I like it. So a lot of the guys guys and girls in that gym do bodybuilding competitions. It's pretty popular down here. Um, and a couple of them approached me and became friends with them, and they said, you know, you kind of look right now like you could compete on stage. Why don't, why don't you give it a shot? And I've always been, like, you know, through my past through high school and college sports, intellectually and physically challenged 
at the same time. And I've really liked that. But ever since I stopped, you know, ever since I graduated and I wasn't a college athlete anymore, obviously the intellectual stimulation was there through this startup that I'm doing and it's crazy. But I didn't have really any physical challenge anymore and I felt like I was kind of just getting my workouts in and I needed something to work for. I'm the type of personality where I really like to be challenged. So this seemed like a good opportunity basically to just push it to the limit. You know, how fit can I get? How low can I get my body fat? And like sculpt my body to look a certain way in, in six weeks. So that was exciting to me. That was a challenge, something I'd never done before. So I pretty much just woke up one morning and I picked a show that was six weeks out. Most people train about 12 weeks for these shows. I did six weeks because I was already kind of halfway there. Um, so I just woke up and decided to do it, picked a show and then committed to it. And once I decided to do it, it just wasn't, it wasn't tough to, to say no to the wine and the chocolate after that. <laughs> Well, I guess through what actually happens at these competitions. I mean, from my understanding, is like I see pictures on on social media all the time of just sure. chicks in bikinis. I'm like, I'm right. sure that's not just what happens. Like, <laughs> some dude in the crowd with an iPhone taking pictures. It's like, crazy. Not do it justice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've always said ever since doing this, I'm like, somebody's got to write a documentary about what happens behind the scenes there because it's crazy. Okay. You okay. know, it's sad because there's actually a a pretty big, really heavy steroid use, really heavy diuretics use i mean you think steroids are just for getting bigger but the bikini girls which is you know there's four classes there's women's bodybuilding which is hugely muscular mm -hmm. then there's physique which is a little less there's figure which is a little less and there's bikini which is the farther end of the spectrum so these girls are muscular but they're very cut um and there are different types of steroids that help you get cut and lower your body fat like that. So I went 100% natural. I obviously did not do steroids. I didn't do anything. I didn't even do weight. I didn't even do protein powder. I did 100% natural foods. Um, but I was up against girls who were doing steroids. It's the norm almost in these competitions, which is crazy to me. And I didn't know anything about it going into it, but I realized that about 80% of the girls and guys that were there were on steroids. And even worse than that is diuretics. So... The, d the days leading up to the show, that the dr they use the word dry, the drier you look, the better, which basically means get super dehydrated, which is so dangerous. I mean, you can have a seizure, you can die from that. I mean, there were some girls back there who were popping six diuretic pills and drinking distilled water and laying on the floor because they were so dehydrated they couldn't even hardly, like, walk. <laughs> so, and some of those girls win, right? So it's kind of a, it's kind of a frustrating, I guess they call it a sport. It's kind of a frustrating sport to be in. And they have some options that are natural shows um, where they do drug test you. Okay, um, so. But they're few and far between. So it's kind of more of a personal thing, I guess, to do than to, you know, some people are going to be doing steroids. I'm not going to and just kind of hold strong on that. But, I mean, it's crazy back there. There's protein powder stands set up everywhere. There's, like, there's spray tanning going on left and right. People walking around hardly wearing any clothes. Girls putting their makeup on. I mean, it's, like, it's a whole different world back behind stage when that happens. It's pretty nuts. It just seems, like, absolutely insane. Like, I feel like people hear all of these horror stories about, like, steroids and stuff like that for, like, professional athletes or college athletes mm -hmm. and then they go in these competitions like oh like it's not regulated so i'm just gonna do this horrendous thing to my body just so i can get a trophy on my mantle oh yeah i mean i've been approached by people from my own gym that are like hey i've got this stuff it would really help you let me coach you and i'm like no <laughs> don't walk away i'm not doing it you know it's it's kind of sad but you know, I, you know, what's the point of doing these competitions? It's to prove that you have the mental strength, and it is way more mental than it is physical, that you have the discipline 
and the skills to sculpt your body and to be very fit, you know, and if you're, it's just cheating to me if you need to use other supplements to do that. But some people just really want to win. So <laughs> they're willing to, to take that risk. I definitely know that kind of person, which is like totally fine. You'll teach their yeah. own. So what, what is your actual fitness, your fitness routine consist of then? If you're sure. not taking protein, I feel do a protein shake when you're leaving the gym is like something you have to do to look cool. Like <laughs> well, I do now. <laughs> I do now. Um, I take, uh, actually, I've, I've been trying out pea protein lately, um, which is interesting. So I really got, through my show, I really got into fasted cardio, which is, you know, real short, 20 to 30 minutes upon right when you wake up in the morning before you eat. Not only because it's the most optimal time and way to burn fat, and I also hate cardio, so if I can just get it out of the way in the morning. Um, so it's an optimal way to burn fat, um, to get your metabolism running right away in the morning, and it also wakes me up. I find that when I do that cardio in the morning, I'm much more energized throughout the day. So if I have the discipline to wake up and do it, I'd say I do it about 50% of the time, though. Um, I'll run sprints or jump rope or do something in the morning, um, and then I typically weight lift in the afternoon. And I do your typical muscle isolation, so I'll have a leg day, a back and bicep day, a chest and tricep day, um, and I try to kind of rotate through because I'm, I'm big on being, I think you should be strong, but I also think you should be functionally strong, so I do like a week where I'll do really, really heavy lifting, and then I'll do a week where I do kind of more like high intensity interval training, plyometric type stuff, so I try to rotate through those types of things um, just to make sure that I'm being both functional and strong at the same time. Interesting. So do you have any actually new fitness goals for yourself? Like you just said this is your first competition. You want yeah. to do one again next year. Right. What's going to kind of keep you motivated now that you just did your competition and you're just working to work out? Right. So that's a good question. Um, I don't think I'll be able to do another competition until next year. I'm kind of discouraged with it because of, you know, on top of steroids, diuretics, um, your body fat percentage gets so low that getting a boob job is also very common among the women that do it. I mean, I'm not getting a boob job for this, right? I'm not going to do steroids. I'm not going to dehydrate my body. So it's kind of almost like discouraging in the sense of unless I do a natural show, I'm just 10 points behind because I'm not willing to put my body through that. So I'm kind of up in the air about that. I think I will do another one just because I learned so much that I know I could do a lot better next time. Um, I got eighth place out of 25 girls, which considering I didn't do steroids and it was my first show, I'm pretty proud of that, but I'd like to do better. Because I'm very competitive, obviously. Um, so I think I'll do another show next year. But I've also gotten really interested in jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai lately. My brother had trained MMA for like two years. And I think that's pretty badass. I think it'd be cool to know how to protect yourself. And it's also a great way to stay and get in shape. So um, I haven't really gotten around to it yet. There's a couple Gracie jiu-jitsu gyms around here. But I think, I think I'd be very good at it because I'm pretty like lanky and tall. Um, so I'm actually pretty interested in getting into jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai. I'm hoping in the next six months or so I'll have time to join a gym and start experimenting with that too. So that might be my next goal, I think. I'm interested you want to do something that like involves fighting. So obviously like, people want to like punch your face and you don't want to like, mess up that good <laughs> looks you not, have. I don't really get in a cage with somebody. I would just like to know how to do it. Well, I say that now, right? Maybe I'll get the urge to fight, but I, I'm not real keen on getting in a cage with somebody who wants to destroy my face, right? So I think I would like to train for the fitness, and I would like to have the skills just to know I could protect myself. Um, and then maybe I'd have the urge to actually compete and fight one day, but right now it doesn't really sound too great to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you, I look at people who go, and they're like, oh, like, cool, like, you're, like, you know, 
you know, being a man, you're fighting. It's what we've been wanting to do, like, since the history of mankind started. But then you come out looking like crap. Like, if you won or lost, it's like, uh, what did you accomplish here? Like, yeah, you got your face beat in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think, I just think it's good skills to have. I think fighting all the time, like, that is probably a little much for me, at least. It makes a lot of sense. So, like, you have, like, a really well-balanced life. Like, you came out of school, very smart, working hard, working a startup, great fitness, probably a fun social life. Any advice out there for anyone that's looking to kind of get a better balance? Like, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm working at a startup. I need to, like, take out, like, for every meal and only (laughs) drink Red Bulls. I don't have time to work out. Like, you obviously have found... Some people take that too far, I think. Well, I'm kind of torn about this one because... There was an article actually that my co-founder Joey sent me recently. Um, it was Mark Zuckerberg's sister who wrote it, and she basically wrote it challenging the idea that you need balance in the first place. She said she had a list. She said career, family, friends, relationships, fitness and health, and sleep. Pick three. Pick three out of that entire list. I can and do that. That's what you can do well if you want to do these things well pick three. (laughs) So her argument is that if you want to actually build something and create something and have a startup or an idea or an app and you want it to be great, you have to be out of balance in order to get that. You have to accept that your life is going to be out of balance for a while in order to achieve that. And if it's going to be something great, right? If it's going to be something that you actually do 100% and focus on. And I thought about it and I was like, that kind of makes sense because if I thought through my life, you know, been kind of in and out of a few relationships, never really had the full time to give it my all. My friends have been super understanding, but I don't always have time to hang out with them. I go months without seeing them sometimes. My family's the same way. My sleep schedule at times. I don't think it's that I've picked three. I think it kind of fluctuates. There'll be weeks where I don't get sleep if I want to see my friends. And there'll be weeks where I don't see my family if I'm working really hard at Intrinio, right? So I think week to week, it kind of fluctuates with your balance and you just have to kind of figure out where your priorities are which for me, my family is priority number one, and my fitness is probably up there, but my career is up there too, so then when am I going to sleep, right? It's like, <laughs> it's tough. Um, and you kind of do, I mean, I don't, I don't buy the Red Bull takeout bull crap, right? Like, I, I, learned, I learned the art of meal prep when I was um, doing this show, and everybody has an, I mean, this maybe, but most people have an hour on Sundays where you can prep your meals for the week. You know, like that's not an excuse. The Red Bull takeout thing, I don't think. But I think being out of balance is okay. And I think people people try to get in balance. But if you want to build something great, you kind of have to be out of balance for a while. Well, I absolutely agree with your, your points there. Like, it's I, I try to avoid people in my life who just need like constant attention from me. Like, I have like more than a handful of things going on. Like, yeah. I don't need you to text me like every seven seconds. Oh, right. just got on the bus. Oh, this guy next <laughs> to me is a weird. I'm like, I don't care. What do you do all day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so just, I think you are doing a really good job of surrounding yourself with like-minded people that keep you motivated, so you can be successful in different aspects of your life. And Absolutely. you've probably done that for like a long time too. Definitely. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with in regards to like uh, doing startups or fitness and just kind of mix of life that way? Yeah, I mean, you just got to figure out what your goals are, right? Like I, I got to a place where I was kind of just floating and just getting my workouts in. So make sure you have a, a goal, whether it's a number you want to hit, a PR, a, a body fat percentage, a gain in muscle, a competition. Like you got to have something driving that and then prioritize it and get into a schedule so that it is on the books, on the calendar, 
um, make sure you're organized, prepared, and just get it in, fit it in, and be willing to be out of balance for a while, but know that it's for for a good reason and that you're building something great and you can be in balance later, right? Exactly. I would 100% yeah. agree with that. Well, thanks so much for the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is fun. That show was absolutely incredible. I don't know how she balances everything going on in her life. Honestly, it's just mind-blowing to me. But obviously she gets it done. That means everyone has the ability to do it. I guess at the end of the day, everyone has 24 hours in a day, so it's a matter of what you spend your time doing. And she is very focused on what she wants to accomplish, hitting her goals, and just moving her life forward. For that, I absolutely applaud you. I hope you guys could take some things away from her and from our conversation in this amazing episode. We'd just like to give a quick shout out to our sponsors for the show. We are Polygon. We are Polygon is a development and digital agency consultancy. With an average of 10 years experience in digital marketing, design, and development under their belts, they aim to combine these disciplines in new ways to help businesses build and expand their reach and engage their audiences in measurable, effective ways. This includes fully customizable websites, managed with WordPress, PPC, SEM campaigns, marketing and development consultations, personal and enterprise branding, and web apps that are usable on Android, iOS, BlackBerry, and Windows devices. Check them out at wearepolygon.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-P-O-L-Y-G-O-N.com. Also, for all your sports nutrition needs, look no further than LAMP Enterprises. Our product lines have exactly what you need, pre- to post-workout, to get you the most out of your training and help you reach your personal goals, no matter what your fitness level. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully you learned something new, or at least were able to share a few laughs with us. Until next time.